You're listening to Penguin Tracks on 89.5 KOPN Columbia. On the phone with me is Joe Horn. He's the author of Everyday Champions. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Joe Horn. I'm the COO of Skywatch Television, which means I have my hand in production. I oversee the uh, Q&A with lots of guests. For example, today we're doing a shoot with Jonathan Kahn on his new book. Um, It's a Christian television program. It's available Vimeo, Amazon, uh, you can get it on uh, YouTube or anywhere that video is found. Um, we try to cover po- uh, politics, prophecy, the supernatural. We deal with everything from uh, the gifts of the Spirit, which hopefully we'll talk to uh, talk about today, uh, to, to UFOs and aliens, but we filter everything through a biblical worldview. So at Skywatch, we try to take a, a, a grasp of the difficult questions that a lot of our churches are not tackling, and we, we filter it through the Bible to give people that are asking those questions answers. And so that's, that's just a snapshot of what I'm doing now in ministry. Tell us about your book, Everyday Champions, and why did you decide to write it? Everyday Champions is, in part, pieces of my biography, but I assume that the listener has no intention of, of taking a look at it based on that factor alone. <laughs> Who is this guy, and why would I care about part of his story? <laughs> um, but I should qualify real quickly. Um, over 30 years of experience in some of the highest uh, religious institutions, denominations in the United States, took me through a very interesting and unique path where I was able to work with and see kind of beyond the smokescreen of organized churches and religions. Um, I'm talking about the A-list of the A-list, people that you would see on television, names that I will not drop, but people that have authored books, they've got their own TV programs, getting to see kind of the firsthand up-close side of what it is to do business with these people, um, what it is to, to work with them professionally, privately, have dinner with them, uh, and I grew up under my father, Tom Horn, who's a multi-time best-selling author. Petrus Romanus, he wrote so many books that did so great and reached so many lives for the kingdom. Um, I was in a position growing up in and out of the organizational, institutionalized portions of church and some of the largest denominations in the U.S., and so I had the interesting perspective that a lot of people never really get to see when it comes to questions like, uh, gifts of the Spirit, both what is being portrayed on television, radio, by these these folks that have written books and so forth and so forth, but then do they actually, you know, apply these things to their lives? Behind the screens, how do these people behave? Uh, and, and my book is not an expose that draws a bunch of people by name out. It's not a hit piece or anything like that. It's just that as I grew up, I noticed that the most effective gifts in my life were the ones that were very, very uh, overlooked in the Bible. They were not the ones being chartered on television and on radio as the sensational super gifts that everybody needs to be drawn to um, that are what, unfortunately, men always kind of parade and put on display and illuminate as the most powerful de facto gifts of the Bible and the Spirit. Um, Excuse me, gifts of the Spirit in the Bible uh, in contrast, my life was evidence to me, and this is where the portion of the book that is biographical comes into play. It's only for the purposes of disclosing in my life from personal experience and then filtering this through the Bible what the spiritual gifts uh, in the Bible are that had direct impact on me as a troubled youth. Long before I grew up and became involved in ministry, I was a desperately troubled youth, even though I had wonderful parents. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I had, uh, in fact, I had the poster, the poster picture for parents in the in the uh, church that that you would have thought of as the de facto, you know, perfect parents, as close as they could possibly be. You know, they was watched out for what kind of music we would listen to, what kind of television content we were allowed to expose ourselves to. They loved us deeply. My parents were so committed not to fussing in front of the kids, they wouldn't even argue in front of us kids. You know, if they had something that was really important, they'd take it to the other room and then come to a conclusion, decide together, and then they would raise all of, of my siblings and I uh, under the same consistent set of rules. They didn't pit each other against each other. They were just solid parents. And my dad, of course, he pastored in the Assemblies of God for 25 years, uh, and then he let his credentials elapse uh, over a decade ago. Uh, to, to be what he thought was more effective by not carrying the banner or the certificate of a specific denomination because we have so many friends and so many different lanes of ministry that as long as people focus on Jesus Christ uh, crucified and, and that he did this for your sins and that we come through the Father through the Son, um, come to the Father through the Son, and big picture stuff, there was no, there was no reason to divide ourselves up and become a part of the, you know, these church wars that you now see, these mm-hmm. faction wars where you believe this and I believe that, so we're all pitted against each other. And, and then we make the mistake of becoming dominionistic and even incorporating politics into the things that we fight about, and we get lost in Jesus Christ, crucified for your sins, that you might have everlasting life if you believe on him. You know what I mean? Big mm-hmm. picture stuff. So when you put a lot of that stuff on the shelf, you know, we get along with Baptists, we get along with Foursquare, we've got some Nazarene friends that, that we do a lot of great things together with because we don't let the small ideal, the uh, small ideologies uh, get in the way of what is big picture. Um, so I don't know if, if that makes a ton of sense, but let me give you what is on my heart. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I just shift straight into the... You asked me, why did I write the book Everyday Champions? That was, that was a little bit of the why, but here's the big thrust. Okay. I believe that God has burdened me with an urgent message. And this is for your listeners, every single person listening to this program. I'm going to do my very best to try to convey what's on my heart here. I believe it's an urgent message that God has given me for believers during what may be our final hours here on earth. I believe that another great awakening is literally just around the corner, and I know that's being disputed by a lot of church and prophetic teachers and and speakers right now, But this is my belief, that we're already seeing signs and symptoms of a massive spiritual movement unlike the world has ever seen. I'm talking about a harvest of souls that you can't even number right now, and it might be just ahead. I believe that God wants to pour out his spirit in powerful and unprecedented ways, just like were predicted in Joel 2.28, including signs and wonders the likes of which have never been witnessed before. Now, I think God is preparing a remnant also at the same time. These are true believers, the ones that have never given up on faith in God, who maybe have walked away from some of the sensational stuff that they've seen on TV, some of the sensational stuff being charaded in, you know, charismatic, hyper-charismatic, uh, you know, super-Christendom, if those are words. Uh, they've never given up on the faith, but they don't find that they feel that they belong to a church, or perhaps they do go to a church, but they feel like a lot of content Uh, as it pertains to prophecy, end times is not being discussed, like some of the things we talked about at the front of this program. Mm -hmm. UFOs, aliens, are there biblical answers for these things, or are they just secular anomalies that we're to never understand? Um, So for those believers out there, they're there, and they're asking the Lord to move, but I'm not sure that they fully ready, or they're not sure, I'm not sure that they're fully ready for what might be a massive harvest of souls, especially if they've been indoctrinated to believe 
that we're in the end times, which means we're, we've already entered into. There's so much teaching in the end times. Um, the, uh, the, the this this moment in time where God has done pretty much whatever He's going to do, and now we're to just occupy and wait. Mm-hmm. And and that is a that may seem silly to somebody like you, Jill. But to be honest with you, that's a very scary, sad indoctrination that a lot of people are just experiencing between their work, being overwhelmed when they turn on the television. They believe that they're just to wait, occupy, uh, and 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 basically fulfill and satisfy whatever they need to do day to day. But that the Great Commission is underway and that time is short, and they're confused about where they fit into the potential massive harvest right at the end that I'm describing. Um, and I think this is one of the things that's stifling them. It's keeping them from recognizing, awaking, and operating fully in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which God has given them for the days ahead. It is for these reasons that I've compiled the book, Everyday Champions, because this work deals with the most powerful, yet overlooked gifts of the Spirit in the Bible, which almost never get talked about. They never get preached about. But these gifts, the one that, are, that, that I've illuminated in everyday champions can literally invigorate Christians with new abilities to function powerfully in the spirit, and I believe everyday champions is going to help people unlock and recognize their particular gifting, uh, the very reason that God made them the way he did for such a time as this. And before your listeners make assumptions about what I'm talking, what is, what is this guy, is he, is he talking about some new series of super moves that he's unlocked in the Bible? No, 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 no. I'm talking about gifts of the spirit that have been in the word of God, since the beginning, mm-hmm. that never get illuminated by traditional teaching. And let me give you a couple examples of this. When we think of the phrase, gift of the Spirit, most of the people immediately go to 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. They believe that we're referring to the obvious gifts of tongues, interpretation of tongues, healings, miracles, etc. And while those have a place, and they're very important, uh, important when God chooses to move that direction, some of the most powerful gifts that he's given us, God, Uh, are the most overlooked or misunderstood in the entire Bible. This is really stifling believers, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 talks about the gift of helps and governments. Helps and government, what do you... And then if you hop to Romans 12, 6 through 8, talks about the gifts of ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, and mercy. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. So those are talents, right? They're they're talents. They're not real gifts of the Spirit. No, 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 no. Read it. We we read, for example, the gift of helps. Let's just illuminate one of these for a minute, because there's a huge difference between a talent given by God and a spiritual gifting that you've been anointed to execute. They're different things. Let's take a look at just helps. The Greek antilemsis excuse me, the Greek word for helps is antilemsis or antilambato, which translates to English as a laying a hold of. Now, people think this means to carry groceries for somebody else, to do something really handy. Like if I were to get the door for you, Jill, I could say, see, I was being helpful. That was me operating in the gift of helps. Now, I don't want to minimize that because if God has commissioned you to make those small maneuvers throughout the course of the day to help somebody out, that could be the very small kind of seed planting that is also described in the book, Everyday Champions, by the way. Those everyday little tiny tasks that are overlooked by the church that, that God right now is preparing huge reward for those people that are doing what I call the grind work. The thankless behind the smoke screen, when you get down to the church, the guy that's cleaning the floors, the little old lady that's running the nursery, those are phenomenal gifts of the spirit that are being totally overlooked as what they are. 
being interpreted as talents or, or, or helpful contributions, but, but they're not being viewed as a vital spiritual gifting, that this person might actually be anointed to do this for kingdom work. Wait a minute. Hang on, I thought the guy holding the microphone with a big booth with tons of books and DVDs, he's the guy with a million followers on Twitter. Wait a minute, that's the guy that's doing massive, massive kingdom work, right? Look, there's nothing wrong with having a big audience. There's nothing wrong with having Twitter or being on social media and having you know books for sale and things like that. But if we fail to recognize that a gift like helps, uh, it is not just as valuable in God's currency, then we've missed and completely diminished how effective we can be when we are, when we are uh, given access and understanding of these gifts. So people think that the gift of helps is to be handy or something like this, but it's a rescue that we're talking about here. It's a matter of survival. The, the, the gift of helps is not a making something more convenient gift. It's a church cannot survive without a gift. And I'm going to give you a biblical example of what I'm talking about. Mary, the mother of Christ, while she's pregnant with Jesus, spoke of the same help when she was praising the Lord for rescuing the entire world by sending his son in Luke 1, 54. She says, Mary says, he, talking about the Savior's son, hath helped Antelimbano, there's that word again, his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So in this context, God himself not only is the helper, but in this frame, framework, he's also personally displaying the gift of helps, Antelimbano, right here in the book of Luke. When he sent the prophesied Messiah and saved an entire generation, the creator of the universe is not above demonstrating the gifts of helps. So why would we then diminish it to grabbing the door for someone or turning it into something like, or, or, or as man, uh, men do, diminishing that in our minds and then creating a sliding scale of perceived value, like something like this, like Jill okay, you run a radio show, so you're, you're way up there on the totem pole. Uh, you're doing real kingdom work. You probably got a lot of listeners. But, you know, for the guy that's the, donating his time to the community or the guy that's sweeping the floors at the church or, you know, the, 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 the youth out there, the millennial out there that's just being a witness and bearing what it is to be Christ-like to their, to their schoolmates under the crushing oppression of what is the social media climate out there. These, these, to me, are the warriors. These, to me, are the people do, doing what you do, doing what I do. This stuff is so important, but we cannot overlook those people out there that are doing what I describe as the thankless grind work mm -hmm. of what a lot of real ministry actually looks like. Does that make sense? So I wanted in Champions to really, really, really illuminate. And that's just one gift, one gift that we took you know, five minutes to kind of unpack and to put in a biblical perspective. There are so many, so many. Mercy. We hear the word mercy. We think of forgiveness or pardoning someone from uh, discipline that they may deserve. When we think of it as a gift, we imagine someone who refuses to fight or is extraordinary, peaceful, and gracious all the time, right? Mm -hmm. We think of the word mercy. We think, okay, this is a, this is a pacifist. Or this guy, you know, you, you smash his car window in and he's, he's merciful because he doesn't take it a you know, take it to court. Well, okay, that may be a form of mercy, but if we look at the way Jesus displayed mercy, it means an active interventionist, basically a humanitarian worker. Jesus changed how the writers of the New Testament would use eleo, which is the Greek word for mercy. And one example of this, the healing in Matthew twenty twenty nine through 34. He says, two blind men sitting by the side, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, have mercy, Eleo on us, O Lord, thou son of David. 
Now, in this context, mercy means to have mercy on, to help one afflicted or seeking aid, to help the afflicted, to bring help to the wretched. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of intervention the word refers to in those terrifying verses uh, about the separation of the sheep and the goats, by the way, in Matthew 25, 31 through 40, the person who has done it, quote, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, visiting the prisons, etc., unto the least of these, has done it unto Christ, he says. Does this make sense? So we, we take these gifts of the Spirit, we put them in a vault, we never speak about them, uh, there are people out there right now being obedient to, to the Lord, and they are asking him every day, Lord, how can I be plugged into your ministry? What can I offer you in terms of kingdom work? And there's, a, there's an array of people that either are right now already actively involved in their calling and simply can't recognize it because they've been told to believe that there is something grander than what they're doing now. And, and that I leave between the listener and the Holy Spirit. If you feel unsatisfied with your current ministry vocation, maybe it is time to move on. But don't do it because you fail to recognize the value that you're already bringing the kingdom in what you're doing right now. Rather, look at what God is leading you toward next. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, I, I hope I'm making sense, but that, yeah. that is what I'm... That I, I was asking the Lord like over a year ago, Lord, show me, um, you know, what is it that's stifling people? And there was a few things I really felt like he burdened me with. Um, you know, we're in 2019. The world seems, if you watch television, like it's falling apart. Um, you know, I asked the Lord, what is it that you would have me share with listeners, viewers, people that read this book? What is one of the things that's stifling them, that's made them believe that they have less value than they do, or that God can't use them because they they weren't, and I'm doing air quotes with my fingers, they weren't quote-unquote gifted. But but I ask the Lord, you know, show me things that are stifling believers, because I believe, like, there's this harvest field out there. It's massive. It's huge. People every day, this, this restlessness you see on television... This is a God problem, a lack thereof. This is never going to be solved with politics. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't vote. I vote. I teach my kids to think. Um, I teach my kids about the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights. I do not indoctrinate them to blindly follow any political leader. I teach them to think. And I do that in case, uh, in case the Lord is planning to tarry for a while. And this is where a lot of the you know, folks listening to this program that are, uh, you know, serious connoisseurs of prophecy, Bible prophecy, and, and what men have done to interpret what they think are the signs in the times, um, believe that maybe the window is very short, and it very well could be. But what if God decided to wait just one more day? That would translate here on earth to a thousand years. You know, we could see five more generations of people come and go before, quote, unquote, the end of time. So I'm not minimizing what Bible prophecy experts are out there suggesting, but you've got to realize I've grown up you know, with, with some of the smartest minds in the world um, you know, deliberating over these things and trying to guess and surmise timelines and prophecy and put it all together and educate others. Uh, there's some tremendous research out there. However, my job is to continue preparing for as if those things could get very bad, so put some food away for my kids, uh, take care of my home, um, 
you know, prepare my home for, for, for difficult times, but to prepare them as though they'll have enough time on this earth to raise their own children, and that those children, my grandchildren, will need to think for themselves and get back to the things of Eden, you know, taking care of our temple, eating clean, trying to avoid chemicals like glyphosate. There's a whole other series of programs, by the way, on, on all of that. In my book, Time Bomb, I deal with, you know, what we're doing to annihilate the soil, you know, uh, what we're doing to our own food sources and what that's doing to create the, the, uh, the, the uh, epidemic of disease that we're seeing. But it all ties back into destroying what bits and pieces of, of, of God's creation we've, we've left alone. Um, but anyway, getting back to this, my, you know, so the Lord, I really felt like he put this on my heart. What is stifling believers? Uh, and, and I felt like he said to me, Joe, I want you to tell people that people need to stop viewing themselves the way the world has made them view themselves. Instead, they need to see themselves the way that God sees them, which is a perfect, beautiful creation whose value is unmatched and whose future is a white, open canvas of endless possibilities if they'd only surrender to his will, to his plan for their lives. Now, I'm not going to get into tongues and interpretation of tongues, cessationism versus Pentecostalism. I'm not here to to argue uh, in in the um, into the realms of that category. I want to instead skip ahead to something that I feel is important. And then if we've missed anything in the time that we have, Jill, you can feel free to ask me. But I want to leave people with this thought. Okay. Paul said that the gifts would be given to pause. That's a Greek word, followers of Christ, which means not only all, but it means every. So I'm going to read that again. Paul said the gifts would be given to basically every Christian. Make sense? Mm-hmm. This means that every Christian is given a gift. Not maybe, not someday, and not, quote, when you've earned it, unquote. We will all be given a gift from the Holy Spirit. This this is further shown, by the way, and proven by Paul stating that this would be phanerosis, or clearly revealed, with each person. However, it's not just clearly revealed whenever we want. There is a scriptural caveat here. This is important. So, so to the listener, if you've wondered to yourself, do I have a spiritual gifting or do I just have various talents? No, 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 no. You may be very talented, and it may be your calling. It may be your spiritual gifting. But if you've been one of those that has wondered for a lifetime or you've seen people on television abuse what their packaging as the gift of the spirits when they have these massive, massive services. Again, not that there's anything wrong with having a massive service, but some of this stuff is being done out of biblical context, and they're parading around as best-selling authors, etc., as though the gifts are there to illuminate them as some kind of a grand wielder super-Christian, that if you follow some formula in their book, you will also be able to unlock whatever gift it is, like a buffet. You walk through a buffet and you look, oh, I want a little of this, I'll have some corn. Oh, I'm going to skip the radish, but I'll have a little potato here. The spiritual gifts were given by God when he formed you in your mother's womb. These are not a series of things that you get to pick and choose from. You can't look attracted towards a gift and go, oh, I really wish that was my calling. I'm sorry, folks, it may not be your calling. And so that, that is where so much damage has been done, to confuse people, to keep them feeling like, A, 
they're limiting their own calling because they won't follow someone else's formula to have unlocked a gift that someone else seems proficient at on television or in a church or a special guest speaker comes from out of town and puts on a big massive service and you know a hundred people come to know the Lord which would be wonderful by the way uh, whether those people are confused just after that because of how they became converted or not, I leave between them and the Lord. But there's a lot of damage happening by, by people putting on basically a circus in the name of Christ and putting what in the Bible are described as the gifts of the spirits on display out of context for their own glory. Does that make sense? Now, this mm-hmm. is important. So there's a scriptural caveat here. Paul just said that every believer was, not maybe, not if, was given a spiritual gift. It may not be one that you pick and choose like off of a buffet. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. In other words, the gift will not manifest unless the believer, this is the catch, is willing to understand that the gift never belonged to the believer to begin with. The only reason the Holy Spirit would ever reveal what your gift is and empower it to its fullest fruition within you is for you to acknowledge that your gift only equips you to more effectively give yourself away. So I ask you, which do you seek first, the Lord or the gift? Are you attracted to kingdom work despite what it costs you, the investment that it requires you, the time that it requires you, the energy that it requires you? Or are you attracted to what's been you know, propagated to you as the sensational side of being a super uh, miracle worker for the Lord or uh, someone who wants to stand on the grand stage to exalt themselves and have you know, fog machines and super lights and laser shows to put on a big rock concert style uh, you know, outreach. Not, and again, I, I want to be very careful. I am not opposed. If people want to use technology, fog machines, laser lights, fireworks, uh, to draw a crowd in, I, I, don't, I, I don't really care. That's not my point. But I'm, I'm just talking about the perception that that leaves a lot of people who have not come to know the Lord yet with this unreachable, unattainable, my gosh, if, I, if I'll never make it to the big stage, if it wasn't my calling to be a a superstar for the Lord. Well, I guess I'm just ordinary and I wasn't gifted. And speaking of which, I know like online there's these tests to find out your spiritual gifts. How can people figure that out? Are these little quizzes accurate or not? I, I am familiar with some of what you're talking about. You go to, you go online, you can look up spiritual aptitude. <laughs> it's almost like a, almost like a, a you know, like a personality test, I mm-hmm. guess, if someone was going to go to a dating website or something. I don't know because I've never used one. I've been happily married since 2000. But I know that the general idea is that you go in and there's a Q&A and you, you fill out box A through C and then it tries to tell you at the end, like a personality litmus test, what your, you know, your spiritual aptitude and personality mm-hmm. type is. Um, I, I, I will tell you that would not be my first place that I would suggest someone start. <laughs> I can tell you that right now, and there's a book out right now by Josh Peck, who's a colleague of mine here at Skywatch Television. He wrote it with Stephen Bancars, who was formerly one of the largest names of the New Age movement ever. You just look up Steve Bancars. Don't pay any attention to his teachings prior to a few years ago. Um, But when he was with the New Age, that kind of stuff that you're describing, Jill, was everywhere. still is. It's rampant. 
And right now, they've put out a book called The Second Coming of the New Age. There is a movement out there to get away from the kind of teaching that I'm describing in Everyday Champions, which is taking us back to our biblical roots, mm-hmm. and it's cheerleading all of those people that are doing the thankless grind work of what real ministry is. I'm talking about the Sunday school teachers, the salt-of-the-earth people that are out there, you know, busting their hides wide open to do kingdom work at their own expense, their own cost, um, versus the sensational, romantic secularized, seducing, uh, you know, attractive, glamorized version of the modern church and how it's all about prosperity. And you can, un- you can unlock and wield supernatural giftings. If you follow the advice in this DVD box set that's mm-hmm. three parts, you'll learn how to be a grand wizard for the Lord. And there, there are, listen, I'm, I'm not making this up. There are, this is, this I know is a, uh, 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 an oxymoron on its face, but there are what they call, they being the secularized New Age slash Christian, if you want to tie all that together in one big mess, um, movement now that has put out Christian tarot cards. Now, I realize that's an oxymoronic statement. There's no such thing as an actual Christian tarot card. But in line with what you mentioned, spiritual aptitude tests, online sites where you go to figure out what, you know, what you know superpowers basically you can wield if you fit a, pers- uh, a certain profile type... They have Christian, and again, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers, Christian Ouija boards now Mm. that are exactly Ouija boards. Just picture a Ouija board, but instead of uh, spirits and and hieroglyphical characterizations, there are pictures of angels and Mm. Jesus and crosses and, you know, talismans. And the whole idea is that you get together with your friends and you ask the angels questions and you move this little sight glass around and the angels will spell answers and responses to you. This is so extra biblical, I can't even get into it today. Um, it's, it's madness. It's lunacy. So, Let me you know, buyer in. beware. Be very careful because there is a rampant movement out there that is trying to mask and cloak Christianity into something very romantic into something very seductive. It's basically, if you're wanting to reconcile your Christianity with witchcraft, because you kind of like both, Mm -hmm. here's the solution. These people are very deceived. Ouija boards are Ouija boards, and they're not good either way. We were never commanded, yeah, we were never commanded to have the the power and authority to move a sight glass around on a box and personally summon the, the power of an angel to come and speak to us in our home. We're to get on our hands and knees, Mm-hmm. metaphorically or legitimately, not that you can't drive a vehicle, <laughs> bear with me here, and talk to the Lord, but we're asked to talk directly, to have communion directly with God the Father. We don't need a surrogate. We don't need to call on the power of the angels. We are blessed to be able to speak directly with God, and he will meet us right where we're at in our broken condition, our imperfect condition, um, what, whatever the world has told you that you are, whatever, uh, you know, a lot of these folks that I describe when I say, you know, uh, God needs, uh, God wanted me to share that people need to stop viewing themselves the way the world has made them view themselves, but instead they need to see themselves the way that God sees them, mm-hmm. as perfect, beautiful creations. I'm talking about the abused. I'm talking about those children who have come up, who who still have never told their story, who, who were taken advantage of by their uncles or neighbors who have been abused maybe sexually or physically. Um, maybe it's a marriage 
you're stuck in a in a situation where you're a believer but your spouse is not and it's just brutal because you want to do the right thing and keep covenant that you made before the Lord but your spouse uh, is not supportive at all in your Christianity that can be very rough what is the white right thing to do there um, what about the job where the where the employer is you know every day defining you as worthless maybe he doesn't say that but maybe it's in his actions the way he treats you um, you know, I'm not here to tell you if you're taking physical or violent abuse from a spouse, I can tell you that God never expected people to put up with that. Um, there are biblical caveats. I'm not advocating for divorce. Please do not cut this out as a soundbite and put on their Joe Horn COO skywatches advocating for divorce. We live in a time where this kind of stuff can get blown up and taken out of context. Mm-hmm. So, But I wanted to make sure when I talked about, you know, if you're in a marriage where your spouse does not agree with you spiritually, that that doesn't get stretched into the realm of, oh, well, Joe also created a blanket caveat where if I'm taking physical abuse, I can't. Uh, seek assistance and intervention for that. Uh, does that make sense? Part of reconciliation uh, does not involve a person being beaten constantly mm-hmm. and being made to feel that that's something that is, is God's plan for their life. So I'm just, I want to clarify that. But people feel as though they have nothing. However you got there, you didn't get to be a part of the staged event at the Super Show where Christians were on stage with their fog machines and wielding these perceived powers, or maybe it's whatever in your life, a work, job, co-worker, spouse, family member, and you feel worthless. God overlooked you in the, in the department of gifting you with anything special. And I, I'm here to tell you that is so. You've got to flip that. Flip the script. It's completely 180% the opposite. God's not going to use you despite your past. He's not going to use you despite the things that, that are shortcomings for you and your personality. He's not going to use you despite your health problems. He's going to use you because of where you've come from and because of who you are in him. If you give your life to him, you can become a new creation. You are gifted. You are special, and he is just waiting for you to recognize that. And the enemy out there is mortified at the notion you would ever come in contact with tying those two things together. Because once you realize you're a, you are a son or daughter of Christ, that he did commission you here in 2019 to stand up and be who he's called you to be, look out, world, because this is exactly what I'm describing when I say this massive harvest of souls that's just ahead. Where can people get your book? They can get it anywhere that books are sold. So if you, if you like to shop on Amazon or go to Barnes & Noble or borders if they still exist anywhere where books are sold it is in international distribution if you want to get it with also some teaching dvds free and another book on how to reach millennials uh, by ali anderson she she does a masterful job dissecting what millennials are actually looking for and it's not what you think it's actually not starbucks and super churches they're they're starving for uh, something else. And she reveals all of that in her book. That's also a part of my book uh, at skywatchtvstore.com. That's skywatchtvstore.com. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a package. So when you get the book, you get a whole bag load of other free you know, gadgets and gizmos, books, DVDs. There's a 13-week teacher's guide. And we want you to have all that stuff. Uh, so you can go to skywatchtvstore.com and look up Everyday Champions. Is there anything else you would like to add or say to your readers? No, I, th- I, think, I think I've been able to share the biggest thrust, what was on my heart to share. 
and I would leave them with what I just said about once they realize that they're a son or daughter of Christ and that he did give them a gift, and it's not a matter of whether or not he did. Uh, there's a whole other teaching on the uncomely parts that Paul describes in the Bible. That's, that's in the book. You've got to get that if you're one of those stuck on that. You're not an uncomely part. Paul was ad- addressing an attitude problem in the first century uh, church of Corinth. Uh, these are um, there's so many misnomers and, and Bible verses taken out of context that I, I did everything I could with the help of, of scholars and uh, of course my own life experience to compile everyday champions to kind of sort out how one would navigate through the process of finding their gifting. There are step by step processes in everyday champions that will walk you through at least trying to help you identify what some of your giftings might be and how to walk with God to fully unlock those. Well, thank you so much for the interview. It was an honor, and you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Jill. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.